there and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. But we're going to talk to you about today, Jesus in the Bible, and you would perhaps, you know, obviously Jesus is in the Gospels, the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're often known as the synoptic gospels because they are, if you like, four different angles or views on the life of one person, Jesus Christ, and his ministry, his life, death, and resurrection, okay? And if you were to read Matthew, you might get a slightly different feel to Mark and to Luke and to John because they're different people writing about what they saw and about what happened around the life of Jesus. But they're also slightly different because they're writing to different uh, audiences. So, for example, if you read Matthew, Matthew's goal was to win the Jews to Jesus, to help them to discover that he was their Messiah, their promised Messiah. And so everything is built in Matthew around convincing Israelites that Jesus is their promised Messiah. Luke is doing a very different thing. Luke is writing to Greek-speaking people. And he's providing evidence that Jesus is the son of God. So you get these different emphasis. But those four books largely are all about the life of Jesus. But the Bible is bigger than those four books, isn't it? Because we learned in the first week there are 66 books. And Jesus is present throughout the 66 books. Which is quite incredible when you understand, as we've already been speaking about, that the Bible was written over 1,500 years and he only lived for 33 of them. It's quite incredible when you realize this book was written by over 40 different authors over that span of 1,500 years. And yet you keep coming across stories and themes and characters and prophecies and things that point to Jesus Christ. It's like the whole book written over the whole period of that time is all about its central character, Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? That's what we're going to discover a little bit more this morning. Jesus is all the way through the Bible. But the other thing I just need to let you know before we kind of explain that, and I'm going to use three stories today that help you to see Jesus in the Bible. Um, Jesus didn't When Jesus was born at Christmas, okay, that wasn't the beginning of his existence. Jesus didn't begin to exist at 0 AD, okay? The Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 1 that the Word was with God, the Word was God, and he was with God before all of this existed. In other words, Jesus Christ is God eternal, God who has always existed, and his birth at Christmas was his entrance into the world he created not the beginning of his existence, is what we call the incarnation. It's God becoming flesh. Not a new life beginning, but God becoming flesh. God becoming one of us. God joining us on earth and then revealing himself to us through the life of Jesus Christ. Okay? So if you understand that, Jesus has always been. Before Jesus Christ arrived in the, new t- in, in, in the Gospels, before he arrived at Christmas, he was there present in the Old Testament. He shows up on several occasions. But more than that, the whole of the Old Testament is preparing the way for him. 
So if you like, the Bible is a little bit like this. The Old Testament prepares the way for Jesus. The Gospels reveal Jesus. And the rest of the New Testament tells us how to participate in the world that Jesus is building. Does that make sense? So it really is all about Jesus. Now, we're going to look at a couple of stories this morning, I think are really interesting stories, that talk about Jesus way before he, he ever existed on earth. He still existed, but he wasn't here, okay? And uh, you're going to see some really cool stuff in, in those stories. Um, before we get there, you know, when I was at school, I, I, I went to a school called St. George. St. <laughs> George, great school. Everybody's going... Um, now, when I first went to that school, so I joined that school in 1989. I would have been in year one. 1989, I was in year one, and uh, or year seven, for those of you that are younger. And um, in year, I was in year one, and there I quickly learned that there was a teacher that everyone was particularly afraid of. Right? He, was, he had a reputation for being strict. And his name was Mr. Long. And Mr. Long was... <laughs> Quite scary. But this is, this is the thing about Mr. Long. So he was a maths teacher. He was in the maths block of the school. And you would know that Mr. Long was coming before he got anywhere near us because he smoked a cigar. In school, you could do it back then. In school, he smoked. In, it, it never left his mouth. He had a cigar all the time. And, and they stink. They really do. And, and so if you were in the maths block... You could smell if he was coming, okay? And I remember one particular occasion, I was at the top of the stairs, and I was scared. I was, a, I, I'm already, I'm small now. I was really small then. Uh, and I remember as a, you know, 11-year-old in this big school full of big kids, and Mr. Long, I was scared. And I remember being at the top of the stairs, and I heard the door at the bottom of the stairs close, and I knew, because I could smell, Mr. Long is coming, you know? And then I could see a shadow on the wall as it sort of came up the stairs. And I was petrified of Mr. Long because of what I'd heard about him, because of, of the kind of reputation that went before him. And in some way, the, the Old Testament is kind of like this. If you read the Old Testament and you think about Jesus, you, you, you can smell him in certain verses. That, that, that smells like there's something going on there. There's a bit more than just what's going on there. You can see shadows of something coming that is more than just what's happening in that particular story. And it's three stories we're going to look at this morning, just like that. They happened way before Jesus arrived, but if you've got your sense of smell, and if you can see the shadow, you can see Jesus is coming. Are you ready? First story we're going to look at is in the book of Numbers. Um, Hans, if you could go to the slide, Numbers 21, Numbers 21, verse 4 to 9. Numbers 21, verse 4 to 9, and we're going to read this story together. Not those ones. Try the next slide. Ah, here we go. Brilliant. Numbers 21, verse 6 to 9, we're going to read this story. See if you can smell or see the shadow of Jesus in this story. Here we go. So then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. I'll give you a clue. They, they were complaining and moaning at God, okay? 
They were complaining a minute God, saying, God, why have you taken us out of Egypt and brought us into the wilderness where we're starving, okay? And we're, we're just, we don't like it here. It's not comfortable. We're, this is not nice. And then it says, so the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look to it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. What a weird story. Right, let's just put the story in its context. The people are in the wilderness, okay? They receive, they, they complain, they, 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 they blaspheme, they profane God. And God, in his righteousness, instantly brings a judgment. Now, pause there for a moment because God is a judge. We do know that about God. But we also know that God is gracious and merciful and kind, okay? But he's also a judge. And right now, we live in what we call grace, which is God withholds judgment and gives mercy. But in this period of time, God had the prerogative to immediately bring about judgment for people's sin. It was a scary time to live. God wasn't just dispensing grace as freely as he is today while he is gracious. God was able justly and righteously to bring about a judgment there and then if God so saw it was fit. And in this scenario, the people, God has graciously delivered them from Egypt. He has done wondrous miracles. He's brought them out of Egypt with incredible signs and wonders. You couldn't deny that God was with them. He, he led them by a cloud in the, in the day and, or the fire at night. God was very present. You could not deny God had done incredible things. And yet, even there, in the presence of the glorious, majestic, signs and wonders and miracles of God, what did the people do? They profaned him. They spoke badly of him. They complained and mo moaned and uttered and said, why have you taken us out of Egypt? We were better off in Egypt. I mean, talk about a slap in the face. Talk about ungrateful and talk about disrespectful. They sinned against the Lord in the wilderness. And God in his justice, immediately sent forth a judgment. Venomous snakes. But the people realized, we've sinned. We need help. Save us, somebody. And they turn to Moses, and Moses prays, and God says to Moses, take a bronze snake and put it on a pole and lift it up, and whoever looks to the snake, to the bronze snake, will live. Now, for those of you that have got your... Moses sniffing for the gospel, sniffing for Jesus. Jesus was raised up on a pole. Jesus was raised up on a wooden cross. And all that look to Jesus shall live. That's the message that we preach, is it not? The venomous snakes represent the judgment of God for sin. The venomous snakes that went about the camp 
They represent sin and judgment, and, and it's around us. It's around the world today. The, the same culture happens today. People profane God. People reject God. People are ungrateful towards God. People are subject to the judgment of God, and yet God has raised up Jesus on a pole and says, whoever has been bitten by the sins in our lives, whoever has been bitten by sin deserves judgment, and yet if they will just look to Jesus on this pole, they shall live. Jesus, in the book of Numbers, a thousand or so years before he was even born, and the picture is there. Isn't that incredible? It's a shadow of Jesus before he's arrived. It's a prophetic story. It's a story. It's a historical story. It happened, and yet it says something about the way God is. It says he is just, and he will judge. But it says that he has raised up a deliverer, and if we will just look to him, we'll live I don't know about you this morning, but sometimes I forget to look to Jesus, just in life. When we're going through difficult stuff, Sophie mentioned it this morning, tough stuff in life. But I want to tell you today, you can look to Jesus, and he's there. You can look to him and live. Sometimes I feel so mucky with sin. Sometimes I feel so guilty and ashamed of myself and the way that I, I am unable to be perfect. But every day I get to look to Jesus and live. Every day I get to come to the cross and realize that he was raised up so that I could be free, so that I could be healed of the venomous bite of sin. And I want to tell you there's good news today for all of us. If sin has bitten you, look to Jesus and live, and live. Now, when we look to him, when we confess our sins and believe in him, just like in that story, sin and death lose their sting. They lose their poisonous effect upon us, and in their place, we receive God's favor and God's righteousness. Isn't that brilliant? Story number two. A little bit later on in the Old Testament, we come to a, the story of Ruth, okay? And uh, the story of Boaz. And so we're going to read this passage. I'm hoping there's a slide for this one, is there, on the next slide? Is there a slide for this one? There should be a slide for this one? Yes, wonderful. Here we go, Ruth, chapter four. Okay, we're going to read this and then I'll give some context for it. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. I'm going to give you a little context for that verse that we've just written there. But basically, uh, there's a, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, there was a story of a woman called Ruth who, who got married, and her husband, unfortunately, sadly passed away, and she was now a widow. And she had no one. That, what that meant in that culture and in that day was that Ruth had no inheritance. She had no security. She had no work because everything was based in that family unit and in that marriage. And yet, 
graciously, the story goes on, is that she incredibly, through God's orchestrating of events, bumps into a family member, a distant family member, a man called Boaz. And Boaz realizes this kind of, that she's actually largely part of his family. And he does what the law tells men to do in that situation. He becomes what's called her kinsman redeemer. He's her kinsman redeemer. He takes her into his family and marries her and gives her a home, security, inheritance, essentially brings her into the fold. It's an incredible story. I encourage you to read it for yourself. But here's why. In, the Levite, in that kind of marriage, a man was required to marry his deceased brother's childless wife to raise up a child and thereby continue the name of that family in Israel. Okay? So without this, that would have been it for his family. It would have been it for Ruth. And yet because Boaz became her redeemer and brought her into his family and married her, and then she had a child, the family could continue, the family line could continue. It's an incredible act of selflessness, and it, it saved Ruth. It really rescued Ruth. Now, that story is not just in the Bible to teach us about ancient Jewish marriage customs. It's actually a picture or a shadow of the old, in the Old Testament, of the Messiah's love for the Gentiles or non-Jews and his church. Think about it for a moment. Ruth is out. She's gone. Boaz is happy. He's got his, his, his tribe, his group. But he goes out and he marries her and brings her into the fold. Now, Jesus came not just for the Israelites, not just for the people of Israel, not just for the Jews whom were given these incredible prophecies and the scriptures who, whom God had chosen as his own people, but he came for everybody that's not Jews as well. And he came to bring them into the fold, into the family. And not just uh, as friends, but legally. There's the marriage picture there, okay? That legally we become a part of his kingdom. We become his children. We are adopted into his family. We are not just allowed to come along for the ride. We're part of it just as much as his own people, the Jews are. Does that make sense? So what you've got in this story of Ruth, this incredible story, is a picture of Jesus, who is the, the Boaz figure in this story, bringing in the Gentiles and making them part of their family so that we can be part of the kingdom of God going forwards. You wouldn't have seen that if you just read it for the first time, but if you can smell, if you can smell it, if you can see the shadow, you can see that Boaz is a shadow of Jesus. And Ruth is a shadow of us. We don't belong. And yet, because of Jesus, now we belong. Now we can be part of it. Isn't that cool? So Jesus is in the Old Testament everywhere. Third story, and then we're going to bring this into land. 
The third example is the story of David and Goliath. And we're going to read this one. David and Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Lovely. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. This is a treasure trove, this story of the shadow of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. I know when most of us read this Bible, this story, we read ourselves into the story. So we think, oh, I'm David, and I've got this big Goliath in my life, and it's a big problem, and I need God's help to overcome my Goliath with uh, you know, whatever he can give me, and then I can win, and I can be victorious. And you know, that's encouraging. It's okay to read the Bible that way, but that's not really what's going on in the story. We, we read ourselves into it when we do that. What's really happening here is that God, through the story of David and Goliath, is showing the Israelites that they cannot save themselves, but they need a rescuer and a savior. And they need somebody, they need him to win the battle for them. Because the Israelites, and I guess in our own lives we do this, we want to win. We want to beat this. We want to be the champion. We want to overcome. We want to be the winner. And God is having to teach his people, hang on, I, I'm the only one who can win this battle. And you just need to stand back and watch me do it. So really, you're not David in this story. We are the Israelites on the hill, okay, watching this unfold, hoping that someone will save us. That's who we are. We're the people on the hill looking down at it, the people that can't beat Goliath. That's who we are. We're the people who cannot overcome our addictions and our sins and our problems. We're the people who can't overcome death. We're helpless unless God fights the battle for us and does it on our behalf. We need God to come and fight the battle for us and give us the victory. We can't do it. Are you with me? That's what is going on in this story. And so God raises up David and delivers the people from their Goliath through David, who is the picture in this story of Jesus Christ. And what David does is he not only slays Goliath with a sling and a stone, but he then chops off his head. There's a picture here that your sin and my sin and death and everything that goes with that is Goliath. And Jesus not only slays, but chops the head off of the thing. It will never come back again to be your judgment. God will never raise that thing back up and put it in front of you again. It is dead, and it is gone, and it is not counted against us. Isn't that incredible? So the story of David and Goliath is a story of deliverance, but not us being able to deliver ourselves. God delivering us, God raising up a rescuer who miraculously, supernaturally destroys the enemy, sin and death, so that we, 
the Israelites and the Gentiles and everybody that believes in Jesus Christ and looks to him can be free of the intimidation and the accusation and all of the stuff that comes with our Goliaths. He's dead. And we get to go free and be victorious. In these three stories that I've shared with you this morning, all of them happened hundreds of years before Jesus ever arrived in the flesh. But each one of them is like a shadow. It's preparing the way. It's showing that God is on the move. It's showing that God is going to bring about a deliverer. God is going to bring about a savior. God is going to bring about a rescuer. God is going to bring about a kinsman redeemer. God is going to bring about a, a pole that we can look to for salvation. God is going to bring about a deliverer who will kill off the sin and the, the judgment and the death that we deserve. God is on the move. And along with these pictures and these stories, there are characters in the Bible, lots of characters in the Bible that are shadows of Jesus. Are you ready? I'm going to read you a list of them. They're brilliant. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is given to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who, through, who though innocently slain, has blood that cries out for our acquittal rather than our condemnation. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing where he went, but to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. God said to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. And now we can say to God, Now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and far better Jacob who wrestled with God and took the blow of justice we deserved so that we, like Jacob, receive only the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him out and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new agreement. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, and who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. And Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Again and again, story after story, character after character, point to or a shadow of the coming Savior and King, Jesus Christ, who the Gospels reveal to us and who we now know by faith in our 
David, our Moses, but a better one, our Savior. So when you read your Bible, you realize Jesus is everywhere. He's all the way through this thing. It is really all about Jesus. And just like we've already had said this morning, he's not gone anywhere. He's here by his spirit with us, meaning we're not alone, meaning we have a, a friend, meaning we have a deliverer, meaning we have someone we can look to right now. He's as real and alive right now as he ever was. And I want you today, again, afresh, to look to Jesus for whatever you may need, for whatever you may need. Do you need healing? Look to Jesus. Do you need deliverance? Look to Jesus. Do you need freedom? Look to Jesus. Do you need hope? Would you look to Jesus? Do you need forgiveness? Look to Jesus. Do you need a direction and a guide? Look to Jesus. Make Jesus the central character of your life, not just this book. Let him be the central character of your story, not just this book. And as you do that, you will live in the favor and blessing of God. Let's pray. Wonderful Savior, precious Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Martin Luther King said, the great military leaders of the past have gone. Their empires have crumbled and burned to ashes. But the empire of Jesus, built solidly and majestically on the foundation of love, is still growing. You should point to the whole man Jesus and say, that is God. Nelson Mandela. The good news born by our risen Messiah who chose not one race, who chose not one country, who chose not one language, who chose not one tribe, but who chose all of mankind. Elvis Presley. I'm not the king. Jesus is the king. I'm just an entertainer. Bono. But with Christ, we have access in a, into a one-to-one -one relationship. For as in the Old Testament, it was more one of worship and all, a vertical relationship. In the New Testament, on the other hand, we look across at Jesus who looks familiar, horizontal. The combination is what makes the cross. And the Queen Elizabeth, before she departed, said, Jesus Christ lived obscurely for most of his life and never traveled far. He was maligned and rejected by many, though he had done no wrong. And yet billions of people now follow his teaching and finding him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them. Are you? Are you one of them?